You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz. And my gosh, when it comes to hot air half-truths, like I said, there's no more half-truths anymore. So I I think I'm going to have to change that intro music there. Um, Only full lies. Only full lies and distortions that the entire so-called conservative movement and conservative media will ignore and focus on nonsense. I have never felt more... More disconnected from this entire movement than I do now. I feel like the Jeremiah moving through the ruins of Jerusalem and wondering, does anyone see what I'm seeing? We focus on Comey and Russia and, oh, look what Trump tweeted. Look what Trump said. Look at what is happening, folks. What I want to do today is piece together, and and I, I have never had so much to talk about. So I apologize if I'm going to talk quickly and to try to just cover all the ground because... Um, I'm trying to, I'm putting out my piece today, by the way, it's Thursday afternoon, June 22nd. (laughs) I forget what time it is. I'm doing a lot of media. I'm going to be on Levin tonight, breaking down this insane healthcare bill, which just codifies and bails out Obamacare under the guise of repealing it. Um, the courts are going nuts too. Nobody's even focused on that. I don't even have time to write about it. I don't know if I can get to it. Um, you know, Trump just screwing us on everything, his cabinet screwing us on everything. There's quotes now of from tech leaders with a meeting from him saying that he supports comprehensive immigration reform. Um, you know, he, he's obviously keeping Obama's amnesty. No one's talking about that. And what I want to do today is just structure for you what happened with the Georgia election. Why that gives us such a momentous opportunity, Republicans, an opportunity to actually stand for something and take the mandate and do something with it, to take the mandate that the people don't want the leftist policies of the Democrats. They want a different direction. And yet they have thrown it in the garbage in spectacular fashion. And the conservative media doesn't even seem to care. This party is more liberal than it's ever been. The whole universe of what it means to be a conservative, what it means to just be common sense on policy has shifted so far to the left. This is one big con job. And finally, you know, a lot of people say, well, the country is, uh, you know, changed. Everyone wants dependency. Everyone wants handouts. Everyone wants this. Everyone, no, nobody wants substance. Let me ask you something. Is that really true? If you give people excrement, or different varieties of excrement as choices every day. Yeah, I mean, that's all they'll take, and they'll pick the lesser of two evils. But is it really true that if you would give them a steak, they wouldn't eat it? If we actually had a movement that would speak to the better instincts of people and be relentlessly consistent and principled about it? Let's try to unpack this and and, and get to as much of what's going on in the news as we can Healthcare, maybe the courts, if we have time, everything else. Um, and again, I, I just have to, as I'm talking to you guys, I have to have my eyes on uh, 
you know, just my email and social and different stuff, even as I'm talking here, I'm doing this live, um, just to get a sense of, um, you know, what's going on, different meetings I have, different media. Um, and again, I'm going to be on Levin tonight if you get this podcast before tonight, 6.35. And uh, we're, we're going to try to make sense of this. But, you know, let's let's go. And, and by the way, I'm going to have a lot of pieces coming out on healthcare, just not just on this bill, but on a broad vision for what is wrong with it, what's the problem and what we need to speak to and what we need to offer. As, as we have been doing, especially in March and April when the House was dealing with health care. So I'm going to link to at least the pieces I have out already. I'm going to link to in the show notes because we just don't have time to get to them all. But um, the Georgia 6th election. So an amazing thing happened in Georgia. The Republicans have had their worst start of, the, of <clears throat> any tenure of, of any party's control ever. They control all three branches, and they've done absolutely nothing 150, more than 150 days into um, their tenure. They have the presidency, they have the House, they have the Senate. They've done nothing except for codified Democrat policies and Democrat budgets. They're in full disarray, all disagree. I mean, Democrats should be running away with this. They spent $30 million in the Georgia 6 race. They threw everything they had. They outspent Republicans like 5 to 1. There was... You know, Karen Handel is kind of a pathetic milquetoast candidate who stands for nothing, ran a very milquetoast candidacy. And despite it all, she won by about four points. Now, just in now, everyone has their hot take on this. I get it. And I get that. <clears throat> and I'm sorry if I'm very hoarse here. I'm doing a lot of media and a lot of talking and screaming and passion. And <laughs> I'm just losing my voice. But a lot of people have their hot takes. Special elections are complicated. There's multiple variables, multiple factors. But I think the best way of unearthing what happened, the message that should be taken from here, and the message that they won't take and indeed didn't take from here, is to juxtapose what happened in Georgia 6 to three of the other special elections to fill you know, House vacancies from cabinet appointees that have been um, taking place and especially the other one that happened Tuesday night in South Carolina. So I'm going to answer the question with a question. You know, what happened in Georgia? How could it be by explaining what happened elsewhere? And kind of making it stronger, making this point stronger. As much as the Georgia district is a reliable GOP district, and they've held it for a long time, and Tom Price never had issues holding the seat, um... You know, and until fairly recently, they were winning presidential elections by large margins. The truth be told, that is a district trending away from us. And Trump only won it by one point in November, even while he won 230 districts nationwide and, you know, 300 and whatever electoral votes and won the presidency. So you'd say this is kind of a swing district and it's kind of smack in the middle in some ways. Um, now, I'd say given tr who Trump is, that this is a very educated kind of white-collar suburban district, given Trump's status, it kind of makes it a swing district. So it's complicated. It both is a traditional GOP district, but one that has trended away from us. So this is the district the Democrats are going to have to win if they want to get to 218 and actually win back the House. And yet, they didn't win it. But at the same time, on the same night, a sleepy race in South Carolina 5, kind of the central part of the state, Mick Mulvaney, who became OMB budget director, um, you know, <clears throat> he uh, he obviously vacated the seat. 
And this is a solid Republican district. Trump won it by 19 points just a couple months ago. And yet a no-name, no-money Democrat came within three points of the Republican there. In other words, the Democrat did slightly better in South Carolina 5 that Trump carried by 19 than in Georgia 6 that Trump carried by just one. What gives? Let me add to that a little bit here. Let me add to that. There's been two other special elections so far that Republicans have dramatically underperformed. In Montana, at large, it's the whole state district, and uh, Kansas 4. Same deal there. In Kansas 4, the Democrat came within seven points. Now, that might sound not, you know, that might not sound like a big deal, but I mean, this is Kansas. Trump carried it by 27 points. What about Montana? The Democrat came within six points, um, but Trump carried the state by 20. Now, I know that guy had the body slam thing, but that was just the day before the election. I mean, I don't know how much it influenced it, clearly a little bit, but, you know, there was a lot of early voting already. What gives? How is it that all these deep red districts came very close, but yet the Democrats focused on the lowest hanging fruit, a district Trump won by just one point, spent the most money ever spent in any congressional race in the history of the country, and they came up short. The the answer to me is very simple. What it tells you in is that generically speaking, organically, without any other factors or focus or money thrown into a race to galvanize people and raise awareness, raise attention, Democrats are fired up because they hate Trump, just because they have to hate him, because he's the enemy, not because he's conservative, because he's actually a liberal. And Republican, the Republican base is not energized. Now, typically, when you just won an election, you have all control. You know, especially in this day and age, we're always anti. So it's a lot easier to be an anti. It's a lot easier to be jazzed up when you're out of power and more energized. But still, Republicans are in an awkward position because they have all the power, but they're accomplishing nothing with it. So, like, uh, I don't have any, you know, we no longer have the anti-Obama rage, but we don't have any positive energy. Man, we're securing our sovereignty, security, gun legislation, repealing Obamacare, boom, 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 tax cuts, yada, yada, nothing. So, and then a lot of swing voters have had enough of the Republicans. They're ticked off. They're turned off by the drama, the clown show, and just nothing to show for it. So that, that was enough for them, the Democrats to really come close. But since, again, there were still solid red districts, Republicans held on. In Georgia 6, what happened was the Democrats all came in. The money hurt them. Because of the $30 million, the Hollywood money, and I know a lot of people will say this was a local factor because the guy didn't live in the district and it hurt them. But it's all connected. The fact that he didn't live in the district accentuated in the minds of the voters there that Oh my gosh, this is the National Democrat Party in Hollywood shoving in their money. Oh my gosh, I am terrified of the Democrats. We don't want this radical agenda. In other words, in the other places, you had these guys, and by the way, they ran as conservatives, these Democrats. They ran as all shucks, Kansan, South Carolinian, conservative Democrat, um, local boy. They didn't have the National Democrat Party coming in. So they, they were able to distinguish themselves. 
And also, number two, they didn't conservatives, you know, never thought they'd lose those districts. So they weren't alerted to it. So they're not energized. A lot of them didn't turn out here. The conservatives were activated. So the Republican base was jazzed up again, not in a good way by affirmatively standing for anything. But by being the anti the never I'm not oh Pelosi, I don't want Pelosi. They scared Republicans with Pelosi and even the swing voters or soft Republican voters in that district that have soured on Republicans don't like the Republicans, but they sure as heck don't like Pelosi and they hate Pelosi worse than Trump. And that's how they were able to win, ironically, in a district that is a lower hanging fruit for Democrats than all the other districts. What this tells you is that the American people, they they so badly don't want the Democrats' liberal policies that the Democrats are so far to the left. It gives us a once in a lifetime opportunity, despite the dumpster fire, despite all the problems with Trump, to actually affirmatively move in a different direction and offer the American people something fundamentally different on every issue. Offer them stake, not the pale pastel business, the same intellectual dishonesty, the same political baggage, the same stand for nothing, but kind of different, but not really different. It's clear that they're not voting for Republicans. There's nothing to vote for. Karen Handel didn't run on anything. They just flashed Pelosi's pictures. They don't want Pelosi's policies. So you know what? Don't give them Pelosi's policies. Don't give them Obamacare. That is the lesson. Despite it all, they got a lifeline from this election. Democrats are in disarray. And yet, I said this election night, and it's been confirmed, you know, since then, since Tuesday night, it it wound up being a victory for Republicans, but not conservatives, because this is the worst thing for us. What this is going to do is they're not going to learn that, oh, so now we need to stand for something. They're going to say, oh, man, we're doing it just all right. Here's the playbook. All we need to do is run against Nancy Pelosi and the liberal media in Hollywood. When ironically, we're actually, as a policy outcome, we're upholding Hollywood values on every front. But don't tell anyone about that. And what I told you this, this is the binary idolatry. I fear it. I fear it so much that I see it in rank and file Republican voters. They so fear the Democrats. They so fear Pelosi taking control that all Republicans have to do to keep them on the plantation, much like the Democrats do with blacks, is dangle in front of them. Do you want Pelosi to win the House? Oh, no, 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 I don't. I'm terrified. Please, please, no. And they could take a dormant lack of enthusiasm on the Republican base and actually match and even surpass the intensity of the Democrat base just by running on anti-Pelosi. And maybe it will work. But what will we get for it? I actually wanted Republicans to, to lose because I was hoping that would be a wake-up call. But there's what to take out from their victory, but they won't do it. And that's a good segue. Here we are today with Republicans introducing a Senate bill that Jonathan Gruber himself, the architect of Obamacare, just said that it certainly doesn't repeal Obamacare. It bails it out. Um, and now Republicans own it. So just so you know, the bill keeps the regulations, it keeps the subsidies, it keeps the Medicaid expansion, and then after 2021 and 2025, so in four to seven years from now, it offers some notional reforms to Medicaid that will never take place because we'll be dead by then. Immediately within six to 12 months, Obamacare will collapse, but we'll get blamed for it 
because we kept Obamacare, but ironically, you'll be blamed on a repeal of Obamacare. Oh, by the way, the bill also adds, you know, $50 billion in bailout funds plus the cost-sharing subsidies that Republicans sued to stop and now are codifying. So it's endless bailouts, endless subsidies, endless regs. Keeps the Medicaid expansion. But what does it do? It gets rid of the, the two remaining elements. Remember, there's five elements, the three core and the two funding. The three core are regulation, subsidies, Medicaid expansion. The funding mechanisms are the tax increases and the mandates. The tax increases pay for the entitlement. The mandates are what's needed to prop up the system. Now, it's not enough to prop up the system, but at least partially. So when you basically tell insurance companies you have to cover everything for the same price under every circumstance, it's actuarially insolvent because then the prices skyrocket and then all the young people will just say, screw it, I won't purchase um, a plan. Why should I pay eleven, twelve hundred um a month for, for absolutely nothing. But then when I get sick, I'll be able to take advantage of the regs that the insurers now have to cover me. And you have adverse selection. So that's why you have the individual mandate and then the employer mandate to force pe- you know uh, businesses to, to cover people. So anyway, <clears throat> by getting rid of those, so that, that's the one thing it does repeal, and it repeals it immediately. So y- you're just precipitating the death spiral but under your watch it's the worst possible mix you could have it's the house bill just every element is made more liberal and worse permanent bailout i have a piece explaining this in more detail but you guys already get this we've put out reams of articles and podcasts on this we have no party that has a shred of a vision of articulation as to why health, not just health insurance, but health care, and they're not the same, are expensive. It's precisely because of government intervention. You, you know what's funny? We have a lot of problems in our system even before Obamacare, now certainly with Obamacare, and it's blamed on the free market because everyone views it as Europe has socialized medicine, but America doesn't. But it's, it's misleading. 55% of health care is government run. 55%. By my calculation, I'm going to have an article with pie graphs hopefully tomorrow coming out with a lot of the fundamentals on this, not just dealing with the healthcare bill, but just the fundamentals of healthcare and why it went awry. Because we don't have a free market, but we have a little bit remaining free market. So we have all the vices of a market system and all the vices of government run healthcare in the worst possible mix. So it's worse than any other country because you get crony capitalism and greed from the private sector because. You know, rather than competing for organic, natural consumer demand, they compete within the narrow confines of government regs and subsidies. And and that's the problem. I'm going to have charts showing in three charts why healthcare is destroyed. In 1960, almost half of all healthcare spending was done by the individual and not for insurance. It was out of pocket, directly first to second party, consumer to provider. And that's why it wasn't expensive. You want to know why it's a dumpster fire now? Only 10.5% of all dollars is out of pocket. And even if you add in insurance, only about 15 to 18% is from the individual. 55% either directly or indirectly is from the government. Meaning, and that includes the household and business shares, the employers, the share that they pay into Medicare, because that's government run. As, and, and 20% is from businesses. 
which is also government sponsored because the only reason why businesses have tethered healthcare to employment is because of the tax exclusion, which is government run. So that's, you know, 75% there. Um, it's really more, more like 80, I think, when you add it up. And then the remainder is households. But then, um, again, a lot of the household portion is either government run, you know, paying, paying you know, the FICA tax. It's because that's considered like we're paying our, our um, Medicare uh, payroll taxes is considered like we're paying healthcare expenditures, but we're really paying for government run healthcare. Um, you know, as well as well. Oh, I forgot. And the big chunk of it that is the individual contribution to the employer based fourth party payer. So it's not the individual. Um, you know, again, only a small portion is paid for either individual out of pocket or individual personal insurance plan. That is why it's expensive, and that's because of the government. Just that you look at any graph, student loans is a perfect example. Commensurate with the degree of subsidization is the degree of price inflation. It's increased about 430% since the 80s. You know, um, uh, tuition, that's the degree of government subsidization. Except with healthcare, it's worse because you have, in addition to the subsidization, you have the third-party payer. So it's the government's, it's fourth party subsidizing the third party to pay for healthcare, and healthcare itself is regulated like hell. Um, or you have the tort issues that inflate the cost of healthcare, so people can't afford to pay out of pocket anymore, and you need insurance. But now insurance is unaffordable because of the government intervention and regs, and that's where we are now. Nobody is speaking to this. We have our twenty-point plan. And when we have more ideas, we're going to put out. And that's the best we can do. And I'm going to speak about this at a later date. I want to hold a healthcare summit with conservative leaders on ways we can get around this. They're not repealing Obamacare, but is there a way we could, because consider it this way. In some ways, there's a good element of Obamacare. And what I mean by that is the cancer on healthcare was health insurance. Now, not that the, not, certainly an element of insurance is needed, but insurance like real insurance, not, not a payment plan like it's become. That's a cancer. That's been a problem. Obamacare is kind of a cancer on the cancer. It's destroyed insurance. So the question is, is there a way, and that's what I'm trying to think of, that we could kind of finesse this and just cut out the middleman and work with some red states, state legislatures, to enact supply-side health care reforms, lower the cost of health care, and just use this as an advantage where health insurance is unaffordable, just have people screw it and just pay for stuff out of pocket, and that in itself will lower prices. That, that's what I'm looking at. But, you know, we're running out of time. But th- this is where we are. And yet, you turn on Rush Limbaugh. You turn on all these people. Comey. Oh, rigged election. Rigged. rigged. They're speaking about nonsense. What are we fighting for? We're fighting the Democrats and the media and defending Trump for what? The guy got up there and said, uh, my health care bill is going to have to have more heart and, and, and spend more money. He's taken on and validated the entire premise of Obamacare. I mean, it's basically Republicans support Obamacare, albeit without the tax increases. But the truth is, once you support Obamacare, you need to raise it on the rich. And let me tell you something. This, if we want to deal with taxes, let's deal with taxes. If we want to deal with abortion, there's a proper way of dealing with abortion. Don't 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 make me chase the squirrel and make this about abortion and taxes. Oh, it defunds Planned Parenthood. The time to defund Planned Parenthood was in the fiscal year 2017 budget bill and in the upcoming FY 2018 budget bill. We should defund it across every se- you know sector of government. This is not. This is about health care. 
whether one fifth of our economy, one sixth of our economy is going to be healed or it will be Marxist, whether we will have crushing debt, whether we will never grow beyond one to 2% GDP, whether we will ever be able to live as a free people and have middle income individuals be able to just afford the basic cost of living on their own, whether healthcare will look like an American supermarket or a Venezuelan supermarket. That's what matters. I don't care about the tax increase. And, and, and look, I don't like tax increases, but it's kind of politically indefensible when you say, oh, I love Obamacare. I'm going to keep it, albeit cut the subsidies ever so slightly after 2020, which will never happen because it's going to be a fiscal cliff. But then, oh, tax cuts for the rich. Because the Democrats were very smart, by the way. All of the, the major taxes of Obamacare are only on people earning over, you know, families earning over $400,000. Again, I don't agree with that, you know, the class warfare, but I'm just saying they were smart to do that. So it's pretty indefensible to not bring relief to the American people and bring relief to the middle income, you know, individuals or any high income individuals, anyone, but say, oh, I'm cutting taxes, the 3.8% surtax, surtax on investment income. I mean, really? It's just stupid. But no one wants to talk about this. I heard people talking last night. Ooh, Trump's speech, wasn't it amazing? And it was the perfect illustration of what we've been talking about for two months. Chase the squirrel. What is actually going on and is being implemented is bad, but ignore it. Focus on Trump's rhetoric that will be countermanded by the policies of his cabinet officials or is currently already countermanded. He, he gets up in there and says, I'm going to cut off welfare for the first five, five years for legal immigrants. I got news for you. That's the law of the land, the IRA-IRA, the 1996 immigration bill. Now, granted, it's not enforced, and it needs to be enforced. And if he does enforce it, I'll defend it up and down and make the case for it. But let's get this straight. So you are giving refundable tax credits to Obama's illegal alien amnesty that you are codifying and continuing and owning, but you're going to go after welfare for, you know, tax credits for... Legal immigrants? I mean, I don't disagree with it, but I mean, really? Of course not. What a joke. Always look at it. No wall, no cutting off refugees, no fighting the courts, no budget, no debt ceiling, no repeal of Obamacare. Har- going after Israel, by the way, they have Greenblatt and Kushner there promoting a Palestinian state. I know from private conversations with certain conservatives in Israel and what Greenblatt said, maniacally focused on a deal, a deal. We need a deal with the Palestinians, a deal, a deal. He gets up there and bashes Cutter while Tillerson is cutting a deal with Cutter. But Daniel, look at that great speech he gave in Iowa. I mean, I, I just I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to say anymore. And you know what's so amazing? Trump spoke to this in his inauguration address. He said to focus on action, not on rhetoric. It's amazing that his speech really uh, speaks to himself more than anyone else. It's it's uh. It's just unbelievable. Um, Earth-shattering. I mean, really, really is. Just truly, truly amazing. But Trump said throughout the speech, I'm trying to dig up quotes here, um, you know, just where this exactly is as I'm talking to you. But he, but he spoke about the need to focus on, um, oh, you know, the time for action is over. The time for rhetoric is over. Now's the time for action. We're sick of all talk and do nothing politicians. We're tired of it. This is horrible. 
but then nothing. All we get from him is rhetoric. And that's all the conservative media focuses on. It's horrible. It's horrible. I don't know what to say. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the courts, too. No one wants to talk about a lot of citizenship and immigration cases where Roberts is screwing us. And even Alito and Thomas are kind of going soft. I'm very disturbed. And that in itself proves my whole thesis that everything is being shifted to the left. And even just like in politics and the political branches, even the conservatives get worn down. I think even Thomas and Alito are getting worn down and kind of going along with some stuff. You're not going to hear this from anyone else, by the way. I don't have time to get into the particulars. Maybe I'll be able to write on it if I have time. If not, I'll address it later. I got to run now, frankly, and deal with the, the dumpster fire, listen to me on Levin. Please, please get your CRTV subscription. This is the only place you're going to hear stuff like this. Promo code Horowitz. Also support our buddies at Patriot Supply. Believe me, when our country and our supermarkets look like our healthcare system, um, like Venezuela, you're going to want 140 meals ready-made in your home for 99 bucks and support Conservative Review to boot. Thanks so much. We're going to have a lot more. Make CR... CRTV, your place to go, bookmark it, download the conservative conscience. I, I'm, you know, the best I can do is just give you guys the data, the information, and we'll take it from there. Until next time, God bless. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power.